COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Quadcast Nation. Welcome back, people. Really excited to bring this episode to you. As some of you know, we started Solving Wellness last week, an online virtual platform to promote wellness amongst us healthcare providers. No, I'm saying it's $99 per year or $9.99 per month. First month is free. We got virtual fitness classes, yoga, nutrition tips, cooking classes, and the topic that we're covering today, how to create resilience, how to improve stress management. So we brought back today, Michelle Sorensen, clinical psychologist, and she gives us this talk today about the intro to cognitive behavioral therapy, how we can modify our thoughts, improve our overall well-being. As usual, Michelle throws down. She's full of wisdom. She's full of game. And we're super grateful for having her on the show. And this is a, a, a session that was available to our members within Solvent Wellness, just to be able to, once again, get that education so we could better ourselves, so we could provide better care to our patients. So go to solvinghealthcare.com if you want further information on Solvent Wellness. We're so proud of this bad boy. But without further ado, let's bring back Michelle Sorensen. Let's go. Here we go. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. And thanks for involving me. It's uh, an important time. I mean, we're just across mental health. We're hearing from so many people who haven't sought help before. I think more than ever, people are actually, I mean, it's a positive that they're looking to proactively kind of add to their skills and learn how to manage stress. So maybe we can uh, help that along a bit tonight. Absolutely. So I'm going to I'm going to just keep it as simple as possible here. Like when we say an intro to cognitive behavioral therapy, let's start with like what is cognitive behavioral therapy? That's a good starting point. And I will mention, um, I know Julia put a handout up on the website. So wherever it is that people find tonight's video, um, there will also be a handout that people can look at online or print out. I have a copy here with me. And so that actually comes from a course that we developed to teach people CBT here at Resiliency Clinic. It's an eight-week course, but we're going to kind of condense it into a series of videos for solving wellness. And yeah, the CBT 101 is that CBT is a framework for therapy. It's amazing for therapists in terms of conceptualizing the issues they're working on with clients. And if I had to say it in a couple of sentences, it's basically that we're looking at the connection between people's thoughts, 
which affect their moods, which affect their behavior, physical symptoms, all happening within the context of one's environment. So actually within the handout, there's a worksheet that people can actually fill out, like they can stop and think about their situation now and say, okay, environment, what's happening in my environment? Pandemic, maybe I'm a healthcare worker, or I'm a teacher, I'm a mom, and my kids are out of school, like what are the factors in your environment? And then what are the thoughts going through your head? What are your emotional reactions? What are the physical symptoms? You know, a lot of people these days, they might have tightness in their chest, you know, stomach aches, all kinds of different things. Um, And then what are their behaviors? You know, do some people at work, say in a busy hospital setting, notice that they're withdrawing from their colleagues when they're stressed, they're not as, you know, engaged or connected anymore, Um, you know, Some parents might notice, oh, I'm really short-tempered with my kids. I'm raising my voice more. You know, I heard one, you know, recently a really, like, lovely client of mine say, it's so easy to start, you know, getting mad at our kids for being upset because we're all home together all the time and we're trying to work and take care of them. So that exercise really helps people to kind of conceptualize where they're at. But the whole CBT premise is that the way we think affects how we feel If we learn to balance our thoughts, it's not about saying some thoughts are good or bad, but just more evidence-based thinking, balancing them out, then we can better regulate our mood. Again, not saying that moods are good or bad. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry, but we can reduce our suffering. And when we do that, we can be in better control of our behaviors and our physical symptoms. Like we hopefully suffer less. So, you know, in terms of partnering with you to bring this to solving wellness. I'm so worried about everyone right now, but in particular, we really need to build resiliency amongst healthcare workers because they do this job of taking care of other people, not just like our hospital staff for sure, um, but there's just so many people in that boat right now needing good skills to manage their own stress um, so that they can have quality of life for themselves and still love the work they do. I think that was very well put in terms of summarizing, you know, what CBT is and, and thinking about the steps. So like environment, physical reaction, mood, how you, how you feel, your mm-hmm. behaviors around that and your thoughts around that. And maybe just because. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm oversimplifying things, but even just walking through an example with a common healthcare provider, maybe if you need me to be an example, if you or do you if you have uh, something common in your he- in your head, I could come up. Um, yeah, actually, I was thinking about that as we came on. What would be a good example? And I did think of an example you shared once in a podcast where you were talking about like coming in, you're on the phone, you have your lunchbox and you put it down and someone says to yes. you, now I have to yes. sanitize that surface. So that's a good example um, where, of course, you are going to have your own, maybe even somatic reaction, like a physical reaction that Um, We call it in mindfulness. One of my main mindfulness teachers who I learned so much from, he always talks about co-emergence, like your co-emergence as your emotions come out, so are the physical reactions. You know, some people might get lightheaded when they're really traumatized. You know, maybe you, you might get this like anger and a visceral reaction. Do you remember what thoughts went through your mind? 
Jesus Christ, number one. <laughs> like, I'm starting my day with this. You you can't get COVID from a lunchbox. I'm sorry. And so it was a, a bit of frustration and a bit of anger. And so, yeah, feeling it in the chest, feeling like more warm and uh, a lot of frustration. And if we peel back the layers of your thoughts there, and this is part of what we do in CBT because, and not everyone does it. Some people balance out their automatic. So we call those negative automatic thoughts that, geez, what is he thinking? And that's not true. That's not right. So those are like the surface level negative automatic thoughts. And we like to sometimes use a short form, like NAT, negative, like gnats. They're like little bugs, you know, pestering you. A lot of them around these days when I go for a walk. Um, But underneath those thoughts, those little thoughts, they come from what we call our underlying assumptions. So those are like the hidden rules we live by. And they're often in the form of if then. So for example, someone who has a thought like, If people don't understand how we actually get COVID, then life is never going to go back to normal. Not not speaking for you, but say you had a thought like that. You could see where that would lead to like, oh my God, like, no, my lunchbox is not going to give you COVID. But we have all kinds of underlying assumptions about ourselves, about other people, about the world. And then at a deeper level, they come from our core beliefs. So I often use like a plant analogy, and this is in the handout. Um, And by the way, a lot of this material can be found in an amazing manual to CBT. It's called Mind Over Mood. Excellent book. And we use it in our resiliency boot camp course along with our own workbook. But so if you think about a plant, the roots are the core beliefs. These form when we're very young. In fact, it's quite worrisome, the kind of core beliefs about themselves, about other people and about the world that children and adolescents could be developing these days, as if life wasn't already ripe with opportunity for negative core beliefs. Um, And then those negative core beliefs, they lead to these rules we live by, if then, if I, if I don't excel at school, then people will be disappointed in me. If I um, drop out of school because I hate quadmester, then I'll never have a good job. I'll never end up going back. You know, like there's all these assumptions. And again, people make them about other people. So like you could have another healthcare example of like, super busy shift at work, people all trying to pull together, but tensions come back the next day, maybe a nurse who's newer on the floor passes by a coworker. She doesn't say she or he doesn't say hi. What kind of negative thoughts go through your head? If you think to yourself, oh, she didn't say hi. Well, who knows what it is? Maybe she was distracted. Maybe she didn't recognize me in my mask. Maybe then you might settle and be okay. But if you think, oh, she didn't like the work I did yesterday, or he really thinks I messed up. they're not happy. I came to work on this unit. You could just imagine the way it then affects your mood, anxiety, anger, or panic and affects your behavior. Maybe you don't try chatting to people. Maybe you hang back, maybe you get nervous and you don't do your job properly. Yeah. So, so when you do go through the process, you know, like as we talked about, um, you know, going through the environment, physical reaction, mood, behavior, thoughts, like, just at a basic level, what do you do with that info? Like, what do you, how do you process it, you know? Well, so one of the main things about CBT is that if your therapist really understands what CBT is about, I have to say over the years, I've met a number of clients who are like, oh, I tried CBT. I didn't really like it. We just did breathing exercises. And I'm like, that's not true CBT. You know, I was really lucky. I was in therapy 
just saying our thoughts out loud, people start to challenge them. Sometimes it's like as a therapist, you you don't even have to work that hard. You just ask thoughtful questions. Oh, what was going through your mind when you felt so anxious? And then as people hear themselves open up and I might encourage them and say, you know, sometimes the craziest thoughts are the most important ones. Don't dismiss them. You might not believe them 100%, but if they pop up, you believe them to some extent. Um, And so as people say them out loud, they might already start to challenge them. But that's a big part of what we do in CBT is we look at evidence. We say, and there's thought records we use, but again, sometimes it just happens conversationally. We say, okay, there's that negative automatic thought. No one at work likes me. Say you have a really negative thought like that. Okay, where's the evidence? And then we might do an exercise where we say, okay, let's go through all your evidence and say, is it a fact or is it interpretation? Okay, it's a fact my colleague didn't say hi to me, but my colleague doesn't like me. Is that an interpretation? Like same as with the lunchbox on the surface example you gave. Say, um, you know, you're having this negative reaction and you think to yourself like, he thinks I'm an idiot or he thinks he knows better than me, right? Like, I'm not saying you said that, but say those kinds of angry thoughts went through your head. Well, I mean, you'll never know for sure, but if you calm yourself and you're like, okay, this guy's trying to do his job, or maybe he thinks differently than me, maybe he has OCD and he's a germaphobe, I'll never know for sure. But if I consider these alternative possibilities, my mood probably settles Absolutely. down. Absolutely. And Does that make I sense? Mean, I, I don't know how to label this or what the term is, but I'll be honest, in that moment, this is kind of uh, being married to a psychologist, I guess, advantage. I, I was, you know, you, you she, yeah. He's good, you, you yeah. Just put your, like, we're very um, egocentric. We always think like the world is kind of revolving around our thoughts and our actions. And, you know, like her doing that thing with the lunchbox has nothing to do with me. That's just, you know what I mean? And, and That's to, right. And you're right, like a part of the anger is you're going to personalize something something to a certain degree. But once you start being a little bit a step outside of ourselves and really, uh, really ask yourself, is this, you know, an interpretation or a true like or an action there? And and so I think this is fantastic. And it's the other thing I like about introducing some of these steps is that it really, you, it's empowering, you know, that you could have a real control of your thoughts and your reactions um, and, and just be more, better controlled. Um, I think it's, it's so important. Well, and if we think about patient care, right? If we think about all our hardworking healthcare professionals that are doing their best, and there's a lot of people in the public who are really scared and really angry, and we don't always present as our best selves, uh, healthcare professionals or the patients. And so, for example, if someone walks into a merge and like they're going through their COVID screening and they start getting agitated, we have these choices, like the person who's doing their job to screen you or to triage you or what have you. And if someone gets really upset and you think to yourself, oh my gosh, this person has probably had so many attempts to get cared for before they came to emerge today. They must be really frazzled. He or she is scared or he and she or she is feeling rejected. It feels like no one's helping. Like who knows, right? Then you might actually be able to be kind in the face of like some grumpiness or body language. Um, 
And that goes a long way. So often when I do therapy with healthcare professionals and they work through some of their reactions, whether it's to the public or their own patients, they'll really catch on. They're like, oh, if I just kind of slow down and show empathy, balance out my own thoughts and handle my own defensiveness and say, oh, I know this is stressful, like the littlest bit of empathy. And sometimes like the patient just turns from like a tiger to a kitten. Yeah. You know? I think I've given the story a, a few times, but I'm going to say it one more time. And when I was uh, with Kathy, we, yeah. we were going to get a, our license renewed. And the the person at the desk was just edgy and having the worst, like was just having the worst day, just really short with us and everything. And so my reaction, like Kathy knows I'm, I'm very impatient with, with people being rude or disrespectful. And so I'm getting, I'm, normal reaction, chest out, puffed out, getting ready to say something that probably I shouldn't. And then Kathy puts her arm on my hand and she go her hand on my arm, sorry, and says to the uh, DMV person, it's like, you know what? It sounds like you're having a really tough time, like a t- really tough day. Everything okay? And she completely yeah. diffused. It was incredible. Like she was just like, oh, you know, it's been tough. Yeah. You know, I just got to work late and all these kind of things and ended up being like the nicest interaction. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah. that is so much better than what I was going to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's a great example. And like when you say about being empowered, we can empower ourselves Nothing feels better than when you have a tense dynamic and it becomes more vulnerable and yeah, more connection. And that's so important during the pandemic, right? Like I was in the, my local pharmacy the other day and I said to the woman that was working there, I'm like, I can't believe how busy you guys are. Like you always have piles of prescriptions. And I was asking her why she thought it was. And we had a chat and I said, you guys are like the unsung heroes of the pandemic. You've been open since day one in a busy retail setting. And she was like, oh, thank you. You know, we just had this nice connection. And so, you know, we could have not talked at all. But I think when we all say, like, I see you, like at the license plate renewal thing, like, I see you, you're doing a hard job. It's hard yeah. dealing with the public, you know, and yeah, brings out the best That's in awesome. people. For sure. So maybe Michelle, you know, because people are going to, our, our listeners, like, so once again, Solvent Wellness um, are going to have access to some of these uh, CBT information sessions. But like, what what does the other side look like? You know what I mean? I, I think, what, what does it look like for a lot of us healthcare providers that, you know, admittedly are struggling, whether it's at work, whether it's home, what is that, you know, going through the process and getting better at, you know, at these skills, how will, how will our lives be better in so many ways? Well, right now, I think what's important to recognize is that our environment is very stressful. And so like, we're not, you know, here in therapy, like my colleagues and I, and as you know, Kathy, your wife, like the work we do during the pandemic is quite different in that a number of the tools we might normally need or the things to make your environment healthier, like getting back to going to yoga class or spending time, like what are your values? What do you value? Oh, okay. You really value time with family. Well, how can you make more time, you know, to do that? Like a lot of this is different right now, but I guess what I would say 
with CBT skills and I think incorporating mindfulness and acceptance of what we can't control is super important is that it's about being more resilient in hard times. It's like, these are difficult times, but how can we kind of almost like live more peacefully with the fact that this is really difficult? Um, So yeah, in my mind, we're all in a state of high stress for sure for many healthcare professionals and well, for people in general, it's not always just stress, it's actually trauma. Like it's super important that people recognize they are in trauma. And so if you're having physical symptoms or you've never felt like this emotionally before, it's maybe because you've never been in this kind of trauma. People with old traumas have really had to process them during COVID or they can't run away from them anymore because it brings it all up, right? Whether you survived an assault or you served in the military like 15 years ago, like there's all kinds of things that are really being triggered for people. Um, So yeah, I think that just recognizing it's really hard on families, it's hard on couples, it's hard on personal and professional relationships. And if we can use more evidence-based thinking, if we can balance out our thoughts, um, then we can bounce back a bit quicker when we're in stressful situations. And again, it's not about like, oh, we should never feel a negative emotion. It's about reducing the intensity. Someone who could end up on stress leave because they're having so much anxiety. If they use these tools, whether they do it in therapy or they get the mind over mood book and listen to these videos and try and uh, get inspired to work on it on their own, if they're better suited to that. It's like, I really do think that people can then yeah, just not suffer as much, not end up debilitated by some of these experiences. Yeah, I mean, the more I, the more I'm hearing about it, the more excited I'm, I am that we're we're doing this because, you know, I, I think a lot of us were in environments at work that are already stressful. You add this yeah. current situation to everything that's happening. You know, I, in the ICU world, like I know some of our our members are are in work in the ICU, you will have months of times where you're okay. And then you'll, all it takes is one case and it's just like too close to home, you know, a young mom or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, someone that reminds you of a family member and you add all that up yeah. and whatever tools we can to be able to, as you say, kind of like bounce back or uh, not be as drawn down or debilitated I think is so important. And I, I, and I could, if I could have an ear to so many of my colleagues right now, I I know they would be saying, yes, absolutely. Whatever we could do to, to, to become more resilient, we will accept. And a lot of it is about self-acceptance and self-compassion, right? So if you're balancing out your thoughts, like what you just said, if it's like, okay, yeah, I've had weeks where I've been okay, but I guess I was running on adrenaline and like this week I'm not okay. If someone goes to a place of shame, if all their maybe old negative thoughts from their childhood or from years ago, like um, sometimes young health professionals talk about like imposter syndrome, like I'm really doing this job. Like people really trust me to do this kind of like how new parents feel, right? So say some old insecurities or new insecurities come up. Um, if someone reacts to, oh, I shouldn't feel this way, I should be so mentally tough, so resilient that I don't have off weeks or days, then let's think about what behaviors they'll engage in. So many high performers, they push through. The question that comes up is, how do I do it all? 
How do I fit it all in rather than what can I let go of? Maybe my family orders out a lot this weekend, you know, support local and spend less time in the kitchen. Maybe I ask my partner if I can just have a morning to myself. Like if people, maybe I call in sick for a shift because I'm like so anxious, but we might have these short-term measures that again, like don't end up in these long-term disability claims. There are so many, I mean, I just can't even imagine if we looked at the data of how many healthcare professionals must be on leave right now. I know there's a lot of teachers on leave and it's such a huge burden on the system. Of course, many parents in healthcare are having to cut back because yeah. our kids aren't in school, which is like a whole other issue. So yeah, people have so much stress on them. And if we're kind and we balance out our thoughts about it and we say, of course, of course I have bad days, then I think we engage in behaviors and we take action steps that lead into positive thoughts like, good for me, I slowed down, I'm recalibrating, now I feel better. Now, don't get me wrong, if someone needs to take time off, they need to take time off. I'm just saying that's not usually a happy ending for people. Then you're dealing with insurance and HR and like, I don't know, Kathy probably is like me, like my clients who end up on medical leaves, they're super stressed yeah. out about it. It's yeah. not good for your mental yeah. health, right? Uh, I mean, one thing in our many talks uh, that I, I think would be uh, an excellent message to a lot of us is the the self-compassion piece. Like I, I, I felt like just at a personal level, having that green light to take care of yourself during tough times. Cause you know, a lot of us, especially like I'll speak for a lot of docs too. You like, you'll, you get this idea that you could take on everything, you know, and just cause you've taken on a lot throughout your career, you know, a lot of people are overachievers, but to get, get that green light to say like, you know what, can you put the kids to bed today? I just need a, a second or can I get the morning off? Just need to kind of decompress. I yeah. got to say like that, that is um, so important, especially during this time right now. You know, I, I, it's I, as a parent, as a doc to be able to opti- optimally take care of those that I need to take care of. We've got to look after number one, got to look after ourselves. Yeah, I mean, we all talk about self-care, but doing it can be really hard, again, for high performers, perfectionists, caregivers, healthcare workers, the helping professionals, that can actually be so much harder than it sounds. Um, So yeah, you can see with the CBT that you have to be able to catch, like, what are the problematic thoughts here driving my negative mood and behavior in order to then be able to make changes, right? Like to be able to say, um, actually, I just like, I know recently I've had times it's really busy here at the clinic. We have new therapists starting, joining us, which has been amazing. Um, They're amazing people. Shout out to any of them that are watching. And I've been asking for more help, you know, like we, uh, I think it was just earlier today, one of my colleagues let me know she'd done some reading and research on actually a parenting topic. It's a huge issue right now is helping support parents. And she said, oh, I watched all these cool videos. And I was just about to say, well, I'm going to send out some resources to the team. And I said to her, you know what, could you put together the stuff you really liked and either you or I could send it out to the team. And if she totally did a great job, you know, and it helped me to help everyone else. So I think we all have different ways where we can say when we're feeling really busy or frazzled, like what can I do right now to make things easier, not harder? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Michelle, I was going to see if anybody had any questions, but if, before doing that, is there any other kind of key messages or lessons, if you will, that you think would be much worth mentioning? Well, because you've been asking about like how it works with the thoughts, I thought I would just mention that in the handout, so on page four, there is this understanding my problems, um, you know, kind of handout where people can actually like fill it all in. And then on the next page, and this is from the Mind Over Mood book, it actually gives some really good questions for people to ask themselves to better understand their thoughts. Because what happens for a lot of people is they'll say, oh no, I was having a panic attack and I wasn't thinking anything. And then I'll say, well, whether our thoughts are totally conscious or not, we're actually, we're having a new thought every two to three seconds. And so these are the kind of questions that can help people. So simple questions like asking yourself, okay, what was going through my mind just before I started to feel this way? See what comes up. Then you take those thoughts and you, Mm. it's like peeling an onion. You know, you peel back the layers. You say, well, what does this mean about me or my life or my future? Right. Um, What am I afraid will happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? So I did want to just throw that out that some people might find that helpful. You can even just start a little notebook where when you, if you have a recurring problematic mood, like anxiety or depression, you could start asking yourself those questions. And in terms of a good time to do that kind of CBT work, to try and better understand your thoughts, basically anytime you have a big shift in your mood, like when you really notice a problematic mood, that's a good time to just stop and like try and get it out of your head down in black and white or talk it out with someone you trust and just see what you learn. It's really CBT. Like if it's done right, it's about kind of learning to become your own therapist. Wow. That's where the power lays. I must say too, like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know at the time of CBT, but one of my favorite go-tos was going through the, like what actually is a worst case scenario. Cause it's almost never as bad as you think yeah. it is. You know what I mean? It's uh, yeah. And then when you walk through the process, you're like, you know what, even if it is as bad as uh, I worry about, we'll be okay. We'll be able to overcome. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. That's sort of like with anxiety, which a lot of us have been feeling in different ways about different things. It's like you want to balance. I often use the image of a teeter totter on one hand, We really, really, as human beings, tend to overestimate the dangers. And then on the other hand, we estimate, underestimate our ability to cope. So if you could do one or the other or a bit of both, as in better estimation of the actual dangers and then a better estimation of your ability to cope, right? Like the kids are never going to go back to school this year. Okay, well, if that happens, how can we cope? We can cope. You know, can we figure out ways? Obviously, that's harder (laughs) for some people not, not to well, be insensitive. There are single parents, there are healthcare workers, there's all kinds of different people. But uh, no, it's just, I, I laugh because it's like so on top of our minds right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, the episode I released today was on the safety of schools, actually. It is fantastic, by the way. Yeah. Check it out. Tr- Dr. Tracy Hoyk, you will never, you, you will love it, people. Before taking any questions, type in SW if you're on the Facebook Live. Uh, just, uh, that will get you all the info you need to hear about for solving wellness where we're changing that boogie for real. So I'm just going to do a quick perusal and see if there's uh, anything that people were pressed on. So Mary brought up a good point here. Many nurses are leaving the profession and retiring early. I've, I've noticed that too, actually. A lot of people that 
definitely are considering either they're retiring for sure or they're leaving. And it's, and it's, it's honestly, it's really sad to see because often they're high quality nurses that bring a lot of experience and, and, and knowledge and and wisdom within our our unit. So yes, Mary, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. And I think it's important to note that much of the trauma for healthcare workers, it's like there's a lot of healthcare workers that when they're at their job doing their job, they actually are in the zone, they're in the flow. I know you've mm-hmm. talked about that, Quadjo. But all the things that affect everyone are affecting healthcare. The lockdown, the not being able to connect, the social isolation. So I really hope that we have more balance soon in terms of people being able, because those are self-writing capacities right? People being able to connect with loved ones. And so, yeah, I can see why people in healthcare are feeling overwhelmed. It's tragic too, because I just feel like they're in it to help. And meanwhile, we're, we're putting situations that are just putting more strain in them. Yeah, I see a question here. I don't know if you see it from a wanna... Yeah, I'll read it. It's very cute. She says, wow, I was about to ask a question and Michelle just addressed it. I feel like she's talking to me. Um, But this is actually a fantastic question. So thank you, Alicia, for asking it. I was going to talk about how since having my first panic attack in December, I find that sometimes the panic starts to come and I can't even pinpoint a thought. Is it possible these physical symptoms can just come about from an accumulation of events, thoughts without there being a specific trigger? And then she talks about having certain strong physical symptoms. And her first worry is that it's another panic attack coming. How do I stop these things from spiraling? So this is how people end up diagnosed with panic disorder. But please, I don't want anyone who's been having panic attacks to label yourself as having like panic disorder. And that's your life, you know, kind of that's your diagnosis. You're stuck with it for life. So a lot of times people just understanding how panic develops can completely turn it around. So to answer that question, first of all, um, we do always have thoughts. Sometimes we're not conscious of them. So actually, Christine Podesky, who wrote the Mind Over Mood book, one of the leaders in the CBT field, I've been to many of her conferences over the years. And there was a conference a few years back where someone said, Dr. Podesky, like one of my clients made a really good point. She said, like, she wakes up in the morning and she's having a panic attack. So how can her thoughts have caused it? But Dr. Podesky said, she's like, no, even when we're asleep, like we're dreaming, we're having subconscious thoughts. So without realizing it, you could already be like anticipating your day or stressing about something. Um, And then, but this is where anxiety and panic sort of differ or how anxiety turns into panic. Because Alicia sort of referred to now if she starts thinking, "Uh uh-oh, panic, it's coming back, she's actually more likely to end up in panic. So the panic cycle, remember how with CBT, our thoughts lead to our moods, which lead to our behaviors and physical symptoms. And around and around, we go in a negative way or we can break the cycle. So with panic, what happens is we have some kind of trigger. So maybe... um, I don't know, maybe I'm rushing around and I remember at work and I remember there was something I was supposed to do for one of the kids and now it's too late, I'm at work. So if I get like an anxious feeling in my chest, which might be related to thoughts like, oh, I let him or her down, I'm not a good mom. If I then think, oh, what's that feeling in my chest? And I start to focus on the physical sensation, 
for sure what will happen is the physical sensation will intensify. So with the panic cycle, it's like trigger over focus on our physical symptom. And then what often develops is what we call a catastrophic misinterpretation. So some people, for sure, doctors and teams see this and emerge. Some people actually like are having a panic attack and they think I'm having a heart attack or I'm having a stroke, right? So you feel some kind of odd sensation and you think, oh my gosh, my heart is beating really fast. And if you thought to yourself, that's okay. Sometimes this happens. We feel stress, our heart can speed up or I was sleep deprived, I'm dehydrated. If we normalize it, the symptom is likely to calm down. If not, of course, seek medical attention. Um, but if we think, if we react to it and we make catastrophic misinterpretations, it intensifies and around and around we go and we end up in a full-blown panic attack, which by the way, even if you do nothing to help yourself, like balance your thoughts, take care of your physical symptoms, eventually the panic attack will end on its own. But of course, it's great to have skills. So sometimes when people learn to identify how that panic attack works, they can start to reduce them. Thank you for sharing, by the way. And because uh, I know a lot of a lot of us are struggling through the same same processes. So thanks for sharing. Um, next question. Many of us are feeling guilty if we take a day off knowing no one is there to replace you. The team has to work more, like if they don't have enough to do. Yeah, to get over, like, yeah. just, I guess, um, thanks for the question, Luz. I, don't, I guess that's not really a question. It's more of a statement, but. Well, that may be sort of like how, yeah, how, how do you manage the guilt. guilt, right? Well, guilt is an emotion, so our thoughts do lead to it. And then, you know, there's a whole cycle that gets going. Um, this is where it would be great to hear from people in the audience. I'm sure some people would have ideas. I don't know what you think, Quajo. I think it partly comes back to, is there something you can let go of? Sometimes it's like, if you say, I'm going to take this day off and then I'll be able to do my job again and I'll be able to do it safely and I won't end up snapping at a coworker. And even, you know, I've had clients that I write a note to take them off work in various jobs and I'll say to them, look, I don't do this quickly. Um, but in this case, I think if you take a bit of time off, you can figure out some strategies to take care of yourself and go back to the workplace in better shape. It's in their best interest. 100%. So I think it's important to try and manage the guilt about that. Yeah, hundred percent. Because I think as we've talked about many times for you to take care of others, you need to be on point. And, uh, and you know, if you get to the point where you are, as you mentioned, going for W's or whatever, I'll get the WSIB, you know, then you're yeah. not helping anybody. So take that time, recharge, loose. Yeah. And we love having you in the mix. That energy is fantastic. And especially with trauma. Like people have to recognize that PTSD, many, everyone has some traumatic stress, certainly right now. Um, but the disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, often comes when people put off treatment. They put off taking care of themselves. They push it off for years. And then those people, when they finally go off, they are off a year or two. Like it's not a short-term thing. So yeah, Luz, take care of yourself. We, we 100% support it. This looks like so far probably the last question. My mood is not depression or anxiety. It's mostly outrage with uh, some of the stuff that are happening in 
school closures, vaccine rollout, et cetera. Does CBT work for that is a question. It's a great question. So I think CBT helps for coming back to managing your thoughts about these things and then making mindful decisions about how we feed the thoughts. I mean, I think there's like being angry is okay. You know, it's, um, it would just be so unreasonable to, to not expect people to have anger and anger is part of grief, right? Like in grief, we have depression, denial, bargaining, anger, we work towards acceptance. Um, so I will share personally that when I'm really upset about saying COVID related, I try and use my CBT skills to balance out my thoughts and know that, you know, me being angry or upset all day is not going to do me or my family or my patients any good. And then I try and take some action because if we think about the cycle, if I balance out my thoughts and I think, okay, I'm going to sit down and write a letter and, you know, copy Ottawa Public Health and the mayor or whichever, you know, (laughs) the provincial government. Sometimes I might write to the school board. I'll do one thing to add my voice to the mix and I try and be polite. And then I really try and release it and say, okay, I've done one thing. I've taken one action. And so no matter how hard things are, we can give ourselves credit for how we cope with them. Like this is really the resiliency model and CBT is part of it, but I think mindfulness is part of it. And so you know, if you resist anger, or you feel shame about it, you're just going to end up in a worse place. But if you acknowledge your anger and you say, yeah, like anger is a sign that things are not OK. Right. And then we get away a little like if we spend too long on blaming and shaming, it won't help us. But if we come back to what can I do? You know, if I take care of my family, those will be healthy people that help society move forward. You know, maybe I can't save everyone. If I take care of my patients or my colleagues, I'm kind to my neighbors. Like what is in my control? What are your thoughts on that, Quadjo? Well, no, I mean, I I can't believe how relatable that is, is what you said. Like this is, I mean, those that know me well, it's been a monster driver of doing the things on social media, mainstream media, uh, on the podcast is, you know, I, I'm, raging <laughs> similar to DRAC there on on issues around COVID and um you know my part is just channeling that that energy into something productive and so what yeah what you're saying right there is like my anthem what was interesting I saw a quote a while ago some friends uh and my husband and I were had a little like uh kind of email chat going about some things a month or two back and people started sharing quotes from like Star Wars and stuff like these deep, insightful quotes. And I can't remember where this one came from, but it was something like, there's no peace without passion. That actually made me feel better because sometimes I'm like, why do I get so worked up about things? You know, if I can share that, that I I am like that. And then I'm like, no, I care a lot. So the self-compassion is like, I have to be who I am. Like maybe some people can keep quiet more or can just like accept the party line, but but I like that quote, there's no peace without passion. Like we're all passionate in healthcare about what we do. And sure, we all feel differently about some of the COVID related issues, but it's because we care, right? Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I had a technical difficulty yes. there. I was hearing you on Facebook and I was, anyways, yes. so sorry. Um, and then I was looking at the answer to the, oh, DRAC was just saying, thank you. Grief is definitely there underneath the anger and outrage. Very helpful. 
Yeah, what you're saying there to me, you know, I, I really like that passion piece because um, it's just basically giving some acceptance for why we feel so strongly about things. And, you know, I, I mean, once again, I've said this a, a few times, like part of getting through these tough times is being your authentic self. And, and if you're passionate about something, you're yeah. no, no reason to bring that down, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it can be difficult sometimes during COVID because everything feels like a political statement, but yeah, for like-minded people who feel angry about some things, I think it's the starting point is to say, okay, I feel like that because I care. I care about kids' mental health. I care about adults' mental health. I care about living life. Like I saw a comment somewhere yesterday that said, when are we allowed in Ontario to do something other than work? And I was like, oh my God. That's a good, that's a really good point. I said it, but I was like, that is brilliant. It's like, yes, when, and so I think, I don't know, I'm sure other people feel like this in healthcare, but like with the latest school closures, I will fully admit that like the thing that just makes me so upset. And I, I mean, my colleagues are the same, like we have held people's pain and trauma for over a year, you know, in that initial lockdown, I was locked in a room away from my children, trying to help all my clients. I love my work. I'm happy to do it. But I've worked through two rounds of school closures. My kids had no camp, nothing last summer. I hardly took time off. And with these school closures, I thought, okay, this anger might affect my work if I don't, because the thought in my mind, so my CBT, I am working so hard and I try and like the clinic has built. We have people that are working here that have jobs and the government won't educate my children. I'll fully admit that was the negative thought in my mind. So I took action. If we look at that CBT cycle, I started reaching out to clients and being a bit vulnerable and saying, I have four school age children. You know, it's, I've got, yeah, for a high schooler, a middle schooler, and two in elementary school. And my son has a language disorder. Wearing a mask all year is not good if you have a language disorder and he has special needs and it's hard for him to be online. I didn't tell my clients all this, but I just said I have four school-age children. I have to space out appointments more. I'm mostly only going to be working in the morning. That's not always working out, but I'm trying. I have to be more present. And you know what? Most people were so supportive. Some of them have agreed to see colleagues. Mostly they're happy to work around my schedule. And so that action is to actually invited more positive thoughts. It was like, oh, look how supportive people are. They get it. They understand. Rather, if I push through and I try to serve everyone and I rush home from work at, you know, three or four o'clock and I'm making dinner and then I would end up frazzled and I wouldn't be good to everyone anymore. Now I'm lucky I'm self-employed. I can make those decisions about my hours, right? You know what comes to mind when you say that too is like the, I don't know how this ties in necessarily, but the power of vulnerability. Like when you, yeah, when you were just being raw with people and saying, this is my situation and fully, you know, I think when you express your situation, you know, people understand how delicate a situation it can be for you. And and that's hard in psychology because we try not to self-disclose, right? We make sessions yeah. about our clients and, um, but these, as, as everyone says, these are unprecedented times. <laughs> And finally, after 13 months, I was like, okay, I have to modify some things. And again, if you're vulnerable, so like for people saying about being guilty about taking a day off, and of course, it's not just in healthcare, like I'm hearing this from 
people that work for the government, people who work in private industry. I mean, some of the private industries, because of working from home, there is no division anymore between no. home and work. Like there are companies that expect their people to be available at 8 p.m. for calls. Like it's really demanding. So for everyone to set limits, to be vulnerable and open up about when it's too much to invite empathy. I'm not saying everyone can do that, but I think more of us can do it than we think, you know, and I know for me, when I said I've got to take some time off, of course, if I asked a colleague whether they could help with cases, like everyone's very happy to be supportive and to pitch in. I love love it, Michelle. Listen, as usual, you are a gem. You're one of our what I call heroes out there that are making us stronger so that we can do our jobs you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, being part of the Solvent Wellness team. I, I know it means a lot to our team members and those that are listening. So God bless you. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank and you I'm- for the opportunity. And thank you everyone out there for tuning in and just keep thinking you taking care of your mental health. Like each of us is a little link in the chain. We can all move society forward coming out of this, you know, and we'll do another video soon and we'll follow up on next steps. 100%. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Qualcast Nation, thank you so much for listening. As usual, Michelle throwing down. Thank you so much, Michelle. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, at Quadcast. Leave any comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com. Leave that five-star rating on iTunes. That helps with the visibility of the show. Throw a comment in there, too. We love it. As we said, solvingwellness.com. All things good to improve the overall well-being of us healthcare providers. Continuing to change that boogie, you know what I'm saying? Thank you so much. We'll connect again real soon. Peace.